you know, it was Linda, it was me and Linda's 19th anniversary on the 6th. And, you know, we've been, de- been together 20 years, married for 19, and I have no idea where that time has gone. I've never stuck with anything for 20 years. <laughs> well, no, me. That's true. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Aroga was 17 and yeah, 97 and got my first PC with Aroga. So yeah, we've been dealing with each other since 97. Yeah, there you go. Long time. I'm going to clip that and I'm going to put the theme music from Titanic. <laughs> 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 This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Flurry, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, wow, that was a good strike. <laughs> that was like a professional intro right there. Excellent. Blue Oyster Cult would be proud. <laughs> Join the band after that. All right, I'm on it. Uh, hey, guess what? My name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. That's me. Cowbell extraordinaire, and Mr. Steve Barkley. That's this guy over here. Who doesn't have a cowbell. I do not. So not I yet. have been nope. I have been separated from my cowbell for entirely too long. <laughs> We're gonna have to fear the Reaper after all. Indeed. And congratulations. Oh, speaking of Fear the Reaper, oh my god, did you guys hear Eddie Van Halen, huh? Yeah. That's yeah. pretty sad. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. It was it got him throat cancer, I believe. Yeah, well he'd been fighting that for for 10 years or so yeah he had lost a third of his tongue due to cancer earlier on too that's right holy schmoly yeah and it was um you know he didn't blame all the cigarettes that he smoked (laughs) blamed the metal guitar picks that he sometimes (laughs) held in his mouth that's right he's an interesting guy but no that's sad that's the little bummer that's another another icon gone yep so sammy hagar if you're listening start jogging Stop <laughs> and don't sue us because our outro is going to be running with the devil. Oh, yes. That would be in bad taste. Would be, yeah. <laughs> He's hot for Satan. <laughs> hey, listen, if Eddie Evan Allen's in, then that's where I want to go. That'd be cool. Cool partying with with eddie uh, yeah yeah you get you get the feeling that the music's got to be better down there right oh absolutely we got lawrence welk up 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 in heaven and <laughs> eddie and in hell you tell me who you're gonna pick. okay now that we've been <laughs> audience what else can we talk about um oh my gosh okay real quickly i know we don't talk politics but <sighs> Did you guys, did you see any of the vice presidential debate? Yeah, about the last hour of it. Yeah, I watched the whole thing. Now, did you, did you hear about the fly that landed on Mike Pence's head that's getting all the press? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, it's weird what people twig on, right? Like, who cares about the fly? But no, no, there's a fly on his head, so therefore Twitter must go crazy. Okay, but okay, but did you hear the the song remix that was that hit the that hit YouTube today? No, oh, no. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Ready? It's, 30, it's only thirty seconds. So you, here, here we go. So let me tell you. First of all, you have a fly on your head. You have a fly on your head. Uh, Senator Harris says. You have a fly on your head. American people know what I'm talking about. You have a fly on your head. I'm pro fly. <laughs> in your head, you owe money to somebody. You have a fly on your head. I'm speaking. You have a fly on your head. No, the reality is. You have a fly on your head. That is a fact. <laughs> You know, I, I'm always so impressed by people who do stuff like that, Yeah. Uh, particularly when they do it quickly and spontaneously. And uh, oh. man, I, I don't have that kind of talent. Who, some, so who did that? I, I don't know. Some uh, Okay, well, I'll give a plug to the YouTube channel. It's called Eclectic Method. So someone was up all night. That's right. I'm glad to hear Pence's pro fly. <laughs> right? Yeah. I know. I yeah. We'll have to we'll have to link that in the show notes. <laughs> it, it, it only has seven thousand views, which is that's criminal. Well, we'll we change that. To, we need to get the AT AT banter army on that and get that get those views up, people. So, absolutely, spread the word. Eclectic method. Uh, hey Ryan. Rob. Uh, what are we doing today? Today we are speaking with Kathy Walbin from the Passiello Group, all about digital accessibility. Well, what do you know? That is exactly what I want to talk about in this news story about Radio Shack. I love it when these things come together. On Monday, Wendy Lucius, really her first name is Wendy? Uh, well, she filed an American with a Disabilities Act complaint against General Wireless Operations, Inc., which does business as Radio Shack. Uh, the plaintiff brought the case seeking, among other things, injunctive relief requiring Radio Shack to make its commercial website usable for the visually impaired. According to the Southern District of Florida submission, so it's in Florida, figures, uh, the plaintiff qualifies as an individual with disabilities pursuant to the ADA. Because of her blindness, she is unable to engage in and enjoy the major life activity of seeing, that's in quotes, the complaint ex explains. The filing also states that the plaintiff uses the internet via screen reader software, which speaks content aloud. So long story short, uh, it turns out that um, it looks like, according to this article, um, some of the forms on the Radio Shack website um, weren't labeled properly, and it, it uh, created a barrier for her to order products online or sign up for exclusive discounts. Information about the return policy and product warranty. Yeah, so, I read this story, and it it it, it kind of got me somewhat frustrated because we see these quite often, and there's a lot of unknowns in this story. So I'll touch on those before I get into my little rant. But some of the unknowns are we don't know which screen reader they were using which browser they were using, which OS, PC, Mac, or mobile. There's a lot of unknowns. And so I didn't have a lot of time, but I, I'm a JAWS user, and I went to the RadioShack.com website. And I went to the store, store locator link. 
I was able to type in a Seattle, Washington zip code, and it brought up two store locations within 50 kilometers of that zip code I typed in. That was all accessible. That's one of the things she said she couldn't do, or he said he couldn't do. I was able to fill out her. her, okay. I was also able to um, get the uh, directions to the store, the phone number of the store, the address to the stores that came up in that search. There was no direct link to take me to those stores, which was unfortunate, but at least I had an option I could call or um, find out where they were. I was able to add an item to my shopping cart and I started the checkout process. And in that process, all of the edit fields had labels, first name, last name, email address, city, state, all that stuff was accessible. I was also able to sign up for exclusive deals and discounts. I was able to enter in my email address. I hit enter, they sent me an email back to verify my email and boom, I'm now registered with Radio Shack to get exclusive discounts and their newsletter. So that's where I get a little frustrated because either these are some of the things she said she was a, wasn't able to do. And so did she reach out to anybody else to do some testing with a similar product or another accessibility product or tool to see if it was a fact that these were inaccessible? You know, was it something that NVDA can't do? Was she using Narrator? You know, did she go to NFB or ACB or whatever agency and ask for assistance? There's so many unknowns, but the fact that this is already a lawsuit and I was able to re, you know, reproduce a couple of these issues within 10 minutes and they worked fine with me, really frustrates me. Mm. This is exciting because I get to, I did get to disagree with you because I feel like we haven't disagreed for a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> been too nice lately yeah it just gets my blood boiling because like i said she she lists a couple things in there she wasn't able to do that i did without issue at all one thing that we don't know is if um radio shack retroactively since the filing of this lawsuit has gone and repaired these problems right and that's one thing i did say there's a lot of unknowns yeah but i mean like i don't know like see i guess these lawsuits don't annoy me like they do you ryan just because i feel like this it's an important part of the process like i think these lawsuits are important because of the optics behind it because once other companies see that okay well look if we don't take something like digital accessibility seriously or we don't take the ada compliance seriously we could get sued so maybe we should put some effort into making sure that our website is accessible like I think that that's the importance of these websites no and I totally agree I totally think that there's definitely a time and a place where a lawsuit is your only avenue and it's the only way an organization or company is going to be educated on what accessibility actually is and means um, but again you know we just don't know the history with this with with Wendy and the extent that they went to to do any accessibility checking before they went and filed a lawsuit like there's other avenues before you actually file a lawsuit that i would hope were taken see i don't know about that like see in in my head though what, where i go to is i go to well you know what it's not wendy's and i like we're, we're on the first page first name <laughs> it's not her job to go out and like try to figure out um you know to go to different agencies or go do a bunch of accessibility testing on her end like it, as the end user, if she can't do what she needs to do um, through a legitimate, you know, barrier, 
and I guess that's the question mark here is that whether or not it was a legitimate right right but I mean you know whether or not you know all the all those other factors are, are a thing it's sort of for me it doesn't matter what matters is that she came up against this barrier and wasn't able to get past it because Radio Shack didn't didn't do the groundwork on making the website accessible. That's what that's my hope anyways. But it yeah and, and we don't know like Steve said maybe since then cuz I think this was like September 23rd this article came out maybe in the last, you know, 6 weeks updates have been made and and it's now accessible and everybody's happy. But again, you know, I think you you have to know how to use your accessibility tools. Because if you don't, it's so easy just to say, oh, I can't do this. I'm going to file an ADA lawsuit. Like, that's just wrong to me. That's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of energy. Learn to use your tools. And then if you still are having issues, then reach out and, and go after whoever you need to go after. And that, that may well be the case here. We don't. It might. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, possibly. But I mean, the flip side of this, too, is that, you know, I don't think filing a lawsuit is... I'm sure it's got to be a pain in the ass, right? I hate. No, we we could speculate all day about this, but you know, at the end of the day, the the only way we're going to have answers is to maybe you know get in in touch and and actually oh, ask these questions. That's you know? a great idea. Because it would be it would be fascinating, I think, to to talk to somebody who's been through this process and and who's dealt with the frustration and gone to a lawyer and gone gone through the whole thing and to know the steps that they've been through and what led them to ultimately filing a lawsuit that's you know, a great idea yeah that's agreed. a great idea holy crap steve last week it was the good news show and this week like look at this you are knocking it out of the parks <laughs> Jeez, and all i had to do was quit drinking how about that <laughs> all right rob find me some contact info the windy lucius we're coming for you yeah that's right hope you listen to our show no no we're not coming for you we're looking for you no but okay yeah okay fair enough well we we agreeing to disagree see and isn't that we don't we don't need to agree to disagree because neither none none of us know one way or the other so we got nothing to disagree about without throwing our assumptions into it so let's let's agree to keep an open mind there you go see it's Okay, wait a second. Wait a second. I, f- I feel an oh, oh. Steve's on the wagon now, so I'm just feeling this calm and inner peace from him. <laughs> that's right. And that's that, that's his next stage. He'll be walking around barefoot and like, oh. <laughs> I, I actually am barefoot right now. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Steve from Canadian Assistive Technologies and this is a shameless plug. A few years back, everyone was all excited about the pen friend from RNIB, which allowed folks to use small stickers with a chip in them to label products and record descriptions. We are pleased to be Canada's distributor of Way Around products, which do the same thing, but utilize a cell phone as the reader. There are a variety of available tags from simple stickers to clothing buttons, magnets, clips. There's something to label almost everything. The descriptions you enter can be any length and they are automatically backed up to your account on the web. So no matter what happens, you'll never lose your descriptions. Check them out on our website at www.canastech.com. Joining us now is Kathy Walbin from the Paciello Group. Hello. Hello, Hello Kathy. Kathy. How are you? 
Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Well, great. Well, listen, hey, we want to thank you uh, for taking some time out and talking to us. Um, why don't um, Why don't we start out? At, you know, digital accessibility is such a such a nebulous term in some ways. Can you give us like sort of a what your working definition of um, digital accessibility is and, and why it's so important? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. For me, digital accessibility is all about making digital communications, whether that be your website, your mobile app, your documents, emails, social media posts, uh, and more. Um, accessible to people with disabilities, meaning that they can use your products, um, they can access all the content, they can perform all the functions, um, and uh, allows them to engage um, with, uh, you know, engage online to get information and perform functions uh, like their online banking, getting groceries, um, and, uh, and much more. So for me, it's all about the end user. Um, but there's another side to it um, as far as uh, making sure that you are compliant. Um, you know, there's uh, many standards, uh, regulatory standards around the world. Um, and so looking at those standards, uh, they most of the regulations have uh, settled on WCAG 2.0 or 2.1 at a AA level standards. Um, which are the uh, standards that the W3C um, has, uh, has put together as far as uh, accessibility standards. Um, so really you, you've got the compliance side of it, um, making sure that you are meeting things from a regulatory perspective, but also uh, meeting the needs of, of people with disabilities. I think another thing that's really come up, um, especially in light of COVID and, and people having to stay at home, is that many older users are also needing to go online and use uh, technology where they've been scared of it, um, you know, haven't really wanted to get in. Now we have a lot of um, inexperienced users using um, the web um, or applications to do the things that they can't go out and do, um, whether that be you know online doctor appointments or you know ordering your prescriptions from a, a pharmacy, all of that becomes challenging, especially if they have age-related um, issues like uh, arthritis, uh, mobility impairments, uh, where their eyesight is is decreasing. Um, they also face the same issues that a person with a disability uh, encounters. And so accessibility to me means just meeting the needs of, of everybody and making sure that everyone has access to technology. Since COVID, have you noticed an uptick in, in companies approaching you to become accessible or what needs to be done to make their sites or infrastructure more accessible? Yeah, great question, Ryan. Um, you know, when we look at the things that have been impacted the most, education is one of those um, where, you know, everybody moved their um, education, their classes online, and that posed a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. It also uncovered just a lot of, of, of general uh, challenges, but even more so for people with disabilities because those systems weren't accessible. 
and you didn't have somebody in the classroom that could help or provide accommodations. So you're really relying on the parents and having systems that are accessible. So we've seen a big uptake there. We've seen a big uptick in uh, healthcare, um, especially with uh, doctor's appointments, pharmacies, um, being able to, to access um, you know, their healthcare without having to go inside because people, um, you know, with, with disabilities as well as um, older people may have trouble even getting into those areas or even social distancing. Right. And so, you know, looking at that, another area is really around anything that's self-service, um, you know, getting your groceries online, um, you know, performing uh, different tasks, getting news, um, you know, all of that has, has really increased as far as, um, as far as COVID goes, in particular, government level um, notifications or other news that needs to get out quickly to to the public. So there's been a lot of, of things that have really opened people's eyes to the challenges that people face um, with technology and needing to do to do better. Yeah, and I think that's one of the benefits of you know going through a pandemic like this. As unfortunate as it is without something like this happening a lot of people organizations would not have come to the realization of how inaccessible their their sites are their their structures are and just kind of what the needs of the public really are on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. well and that must be like a little bit of a, a frustration though at times because it seems to me that like take well, we can, well let's take the um, the idea of the kiosk or this this self serve, mm-hmm. you know these things will be implemented um, because you know the technology is there but generally they don't stop and go okay well wait how do we make this accessible it's only like something especially like something like self serve kiosks I mean this is something that's been in place for geez what maybe three four five years in a lot of places some places more. Mm-hmm. Um, Really now they're look they're going okay well wait a minute how do we how do we make this accessible? Do you find that a lot that you guys are are constantly playing catch up with with a lot of these technologies? The things that you do to make something accessible um, applies to all sorts of different technologies, and so from that perspective, um, there's you know you do the same things. We are seeing um, you know big um, demand for kiosk level. Uh, accessibility, uh, which we provide, um, you know, everything from looking at, um, you know, the kiosk and seeing if there's, for example, a keypad or, you know, a um, headset jack. So people who are using um, audio can hear it. Uh, We often put the JAWS screen reader or Zoom text, which is screen magnification on those kiosks so that people who are blind um, or low vision can also access the information on the kiosk itself. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you need to do within kiosks to really make them accessible. Um, And, you know, people struggle with new technology because they don't know how to do it, right? If you look at a website, there's lots of resources out there to say, okay, this is what you need to do from from an accessibility standpoint with newer technologies that, level of guidance isn't out there. And so, you know, a lot of uh, companies may struggle to even know what to do or even know that accessibility applies to it. So in terms of 
you know, making that distinction that a site or an app is fully accessible. Mm -hmm. What what kind of things do you guys look for? Do you just follow like sort of the, the specific standards that are laid out? Or is, is there more of a, a usability pass taken at it? Because it seems to me that that's sort of a, a problem because mm -hmm. one person using a certain type of technology that has a certain um, skill at using it could find something inaccessible that somebody with a different screen reader and a different skill level, it doesn't have that problem. How do you guys balance that? Yeah, so I mean, it's a really good question. I mean, when you look at, you know, is something 100% um, compliant, um, you know, that is a hard thing to answer because uh, technology keeps changing, you keep updating your website. So it's ever, you know, at best, it's only a moment in time for the very specific things that you have fixed um, to be accessible. But accessible, being accessible really means um, several things to me. One is, um, you know, have you met the web content accessibility guidelines um, and are you know do you technically pass those in order to determine that you have to do manual testing um, and you can use automated tools as well but automated tools can only capture you know 45 percent uh, on average uh, the number of accessibility issues actually with that technology and so when you're looking at you know the level of accessibility, yes, you can do some automated tests and they'll give you an idea of where you're at, but it really requires um, looking at manual inspection with the code to really determine if something really truly is accessible. So for example, an automated tool can figure out whether or not you have a text alternative on an image, which is the alt attribute. And so if that alt attribute is present, uh, the uh, automated tool will say, okay, good. If it's not there, it'll say it failed. But from a manual perspective, you also need to make sure that that image is conveying the same information that you, uh, that a, you know, that a visual user sees for a user who is, is blind. So really looking to see if that is conveying the right information and the full information that's needed to um, you know, get all the content that's that's on a page. So, you know, you can't just rely on automated tools. Manual testing will get you further. Um, but really, if you're looking at, um, you know, can a user with a disability actually be able to access, um, you know, your website, perform those functions, it's really about testing with the assistive technology. Assistive technology are the tools that people with disabilities use in order to access um, things on, on your website or application. Um, so when you're looking at um, you know, some common assistive technology, a screen reader is one of those. A screen reader produces an auditory version of what a visual user would see on the screen. And um, you know, it, the, if the underlying code isn't there, then the screen reader is going to have issues. But there's also problems that can happen with the browser or in the assistive technology itself. So sometimes those issues are problems within the code, problems within the browser, or problems with the assistive technology. So it's really important to test um, with the different assistive technology in different browsers and on different platforms. 
Um, so if you're testing um, just on the PC, for example, you may be missing issues that you would see on your, your phone or your tablet, or you know, if you go between the PC and Mac. So you know, doing a certain level of compatibility testing um, with the assistive technology is important. And then also, if you really want to make sure that your, you know, your digital technology is usable by people with disabilities, that's where getting into usability testing is really helpful um, to really gauge uh, how well um, you know, your site is from an accessibility standpoint and whether or not uh, users with disabilities would have, have issues. And just like you said, um, you know, there's a varying levels of um, knowledge of the assistive technology, uh, being comfortable with technology, um, and then also, you know, your willingness to to use the assistive technology itself. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that come into play when you're looking at accessibility. And, you know, for me, if you are accessible, it means that people with disabilities can use it. So therefore, you can't just rely on one technique for testing your uh, digital technology, but rather using a suite of, of tools and methods to actually, um, you know, assess your site and find out where there are issues and uh, how those can be solved. So I think ultimately what we need is an automated checker that just goes through and crawls websites, kind of like Google probably does, and just looks for testing with websites coming online all the time. This really sounds like it's a daunting uphill battle. You know, you've got users, like you said, with varying degrees of skill with their assistive technology tool of choice. You got multiple browsers, you got mobile, Mac, PC, Linux. <laughs> so what do you do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, most companies are starting with, um, you know, the key user flows. What are the key functions that a user is coming to your site to do, um, as well as, uh, you know, limit their testing to begin with? Um, you know, a lot of the times if you're not accessible and you're just starting out with accessibility, you know, there's a lot of low hanging fruit that you can do in order to make your site more accessible. And so looking at, um, you know, just making improvements and gradually improving it, um, you know, starting with those key user flows or, or functions or, or things that people with disabilities are going to do on your site, um, starting with those and making sure that those are, are fully accessible is, um, is important. It also will reduce your legal risk. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, there's a double, uh, double benefit there as far as, uh, organizations are, are concerned. So really starting with, you know, those, and that limits kind of what you're looking at. And then also, you know, testing, testing those flows, um, with the assistive technology. And typically we recommend starting with the screen readers. Um, so there's the JAWS screen reader and then the NVDA on the PC and on the Mac voiceover is built into the operating system. And so using those combination of three, um, you know, three uh, screen readers 
um, can really help kind of assess what other users are going to face on your site uh, as well. Because the screen reader is the most intensive. It, it needs to get all of the information from the underlying code in order to produce something that is um, both readable, but also functional and works with the tools then and the functions and features that are built into the uh, to the screen reader so that users can easily navigate through the site, um, you know, not having to go and read from the top to the bottom, but rather, you know, having ways for, for you to navigate to a specific heading or a specific region on the page. So all of that's built into the underlying, underlying code. So while it seems daunting and there's a lot of things you would need to do in order to make your sites um, fully accessible and usable, there is a balance there and starting out with, uh, you know, smaller subset will make a huge difference for people with disabilities. And so just starting small and then working your, your way up, um, doing more testing, uh, from there. So now does it, does it kind of shock you? Because I mean, these standards have been in place for a long time and, um, you know, we, we, we're, we're hearing an, um, a small uptick in litigation. Does it surprise you that that more companies, more websites aren't quicker to embrace the idea of digital accessibility or is that or do you find that that's changing right now? Yeah, so I've been in this industry for almost 20 years now. And I can say in those 20 years, things have gotten a lot better. <laughs> and so while it seems like there's the progress is slow, you know, when I first started out on and doing this, people would say uh, accessibility is what? Um, what are you doing? You know, what's your job? And so, you know, you got a lot of those blank stares and people not understanding what the accessibility standards were, how to apply them, what was important. And so there was just a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people who didn't know. So majority of the people didn't know anything about accessibility. Today, if you stop someone and, and say, you know, uh, and who works on digital technology, they will have heard about accessibility. They may not be doing it fully, but they generally will know about it or heard about it from someone else. And so, you know, there's a lot more awareness. There's also a lot more in, in main media um, talking about accessibility and the needs for it. And also, you know, the increasing number of lawsuits also gets companies' attention. Um, but also, you know, the other flip side to it is, is many uh, clients are trying to increase their customer base um, and, you know, certain types of clients like financial clients or those who do retirement benefits, you know, they're attracting uh, the older population. And so if they're not making their sites accessible, they're also losing out on those customers. Um, so there's there's added benefits um, all around to to making something accessible. And companies are now realizing that. And I do think that things generally year over year are getting better. Um, it takes time. There's always different priorities with companies as far as their business needs, um, you know, features that they need to include and balancing that with accessibility can often be difficult because everybody's pushed um, and, and resources are constrained. Um, as well as budgets. And so, you know, it's a fine balance, but I have seen uh, great uh, progress in accessibility, especially in the last five years. Yeah, and it seems to me too that the other big change that's happened, I mean, even the way that we interact with websites has, has changed. I mean, 
it very much used to be that a website was essentially kind of like a digital brochure. Um, but these days, you know, almost every website, it, they're far more interactive. They, there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's forms, there's pop-ups, there's, you know, all, all these calls to action and things that they, they want to try to involve the user. Does that make digital accessibility that much more complicated to navigate? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, back when I started, it was easy. Um, there wasn't that much you needed to think about. Um, and, you know, it was fairly easy. It was brochureware, right? You had some images, you had some headings, you had text on the page. Um, you know, you might have had a form, um, you know, but it was pretty basic. Um, today, you're doing so much more. Um, and, you know, the different types of user uh, controls like um, tab sets and, um, you know, expandable coll collapsible sections on your website, uh, modal dialogues, you know, all of that has made things more, um, more complicated in that those types of controls visually convey a lot of information. So for users with low vision or users who are blind, it can be very difficult because there's so much visual information shown on the screen. And so you need to make sure that that is also conveyed um, to those users so that they can actually use the, um, you know, use the, the control and know exactly what things are. So for example, if you have a slider, you need to know what the min and max value is. You need to know what the current value is as you're moving uh, it around. You also need to make sure it's got it can be accessed through a keyboard because many users with disabilities don't use a mouse. And so, you know, looking at all of that, you need to know, you know, what that is. And then you need to know what that slider is related to. What is it that you're actually choosing the min or max value and, and what value, um, you know, is that related to, you know, this type of, of input or is it, you know, some other type of inputs? So there's a lot of um, visual information that is conveyed that you also have to convey to, um, you know, to other users uh, who may not be seeing the screen. So that it has gotten a lot more complicated. You know, there's just so many new things that uh, applications are, are doing. And, you know, mobile's also uh, complicated that because um, now you're interacting not just with keyboard and mouse, but you're interacting with a touch screen. You know, there's all different sizes of devices. You're trying to do more, um, you know, on mobile. And, uh, you know, that's that introduced a whole new way of, of navigating and, uh, you know, executing on on a mobile device versus the uh, PC. Right. And even in terms of, you know, web development, I mean, that's also completely changed. Um, you know, now, you know, it, it's almost exclusively um, content management systems that, you know, stuff like WordPress and stuff. Does that make digital accessibility easy or easier or harder? Good question. I mean, it, it all depends because, um, you know, certain um, content management systems are uh, more friendly as far as accessibility goes. They've got features that allow you to, um, for example, add a text alternative to an image where other content management systems may not allow that. So it's not possible to make something accessible through the editors that you have. Um, also, you know, if you're starting with a base template, which many companies do, if you're using Drupal or WordPress or, or other similar 
uh, content management systems, there's certain templates that are more accessible than others. And so if you start with an accessible template, then you're more likely to be accessible um, or have a higher level of accessibility um, than if you didn't uh, use a template that was accessible from the start. And in terms of like, I don't know, accessibility mistakes that an average website might make, you know, like you said, um, all texting pictures, I feel like is, is got some momentum. A lot of people, a lot more people know to do that these days, but what mm -hmm. are some other common failings where, you know, certain sites might actually fail the accessibility test? Yeah, I mean, the biggest one I see, especially because we're using such rich uh, internet controls is really just keyboard access, um, not being able to do something with keyboard. And that's usually the number one thing that a user with a disability would complain about or get very frustrated about. It's also one of the top things that is a legal risk um, because if people can't complete um, and you completely block them from doing something, then you know that's that's a big red flag. I would say so. Keyboard access is one. Um, the other things that I you know I think are very important is that all user interface controls, including form fields, um, convey the right information and uh, tell the user what the label is. So, for example, if I have a form field and it is an edit control. Um, the screen reader needs to announce that this is an edit control, but it also needs to announce that this is the first name um, uh, edit control because if the otherwise the screen reader will just say edit and then on the next field it'll say edit and then on the next field it says edit. Um, you won't really know what that control actually is is corresponding to on the screen. A visual user can know immediately what it is because of the proximity of the label to to the form fields. So form fields are, are definitely um, and other controls are definitely a huge issue, um, primarily because you're interacting um, with the with the content overall. The other things that, um, you know, are typically pro problematic is within the navigation. Um, so if you have drop down menus, uh, you need to make sure that those can be accessed, um, that they're in the right tab order, that you can um, find and navigate um, two different pages. And then within the page, you know, screen reader users, for example, have different function keys. They can pull up a list of all the headings on the page. They can pull up a list of all the regions, such as the header, the main content, the footer, the search, et cetera. And so if there isn't that, um, those types of, of content um, and uh, code, underlying code, so if you're just styling it to look like a heading, a screen reader user, for example, won't know that that's a heading. Um, you need to use, for example, an H1 or an H2 in the underlying code to say, oh, this is a heading level one or this is a heading level two. If you do that, then a screen reader can pull up a list of all the headings and navigate to that so that they don't have to read the, the page from the top to the bottom, but they can essentially scan a website just like a visual user can because they can pull up um, a list of all regions. They can pull up a list of all the headings on a page and navigate directly directly to it. So that you know, navigation within the page, navigation within um, you know your primary navigation bar to go to different pages is really important. And then, you know, that includes your search as well. Um, you know, many users uh, with disabilities will use a search. 
And if you're not getting that information um, and being able to use that, then that's a, a significant disadvantage uh, for people with disabilities. The other thing that you mentioned, Rob, was you know sites that have pop-up windows um, and other things that are dynamically happening on the page, whether that be an error message that pops up, whether it be a dialogue that gives you more information, all of those tend to be very problematic on, on a site. So for example, if a, an alert um, shows up on the screen um, and the, the screen reader users reading a specific um, part of the screen, they may not know that that actually appeared on, on the page unless it actually gets announced by the screen reader. And there's certain coding that you need to do in order to make that happen for the screen reader user. So there's all things like that that are, are really um, important to make sure that, um, you know, you have something that's functional. Um, you know, with every different type of, of disability and challenge that users may have, there's different things that are important. But I'd say those are primarily the top ones that, uh, you know, most of our clients uh, have and, and the more uh, critical issues. I have a top one for you. Yeah. Do the standards cover CAPTCHAs? Audio CAPTCHAs, picture CAPTCHAs, pain in the ass CAPTCHAs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, a CAPTCHA's always been a problem. Um, it's always been a challenge. And, you know, there's so many CAPTCHAs out there that are not accessible. And it's hard because you can't just put an alt text on an image because then, you know, you're just defeating the purpose right. because uh, anybody can then break that code. Um, so, you know, that has been a challenge. Yes, it is part of the accessibility guidelines. Um, you know, audio CAPTCHA was one thing that came out from the um, the accessibility guidelines and making sure that you know you get an auditory version, but even that can be challenging for users from a usability standpoint because they're often disguised. Um, you yep. know, you can't just say the words, <laughs> but you know you got to try and make it so that you can't use natural language, natural uh, language processing to actually determine what that is. So right. there's, you know, it's just challenging overall. Um, there has been different techniques that have. Uh, come about as well to uh, alternatives to CAPTCHA. So, you know, companies are often doing um, text messages yeah. now for confirmation, you know, sending you the codes. So there's been a lot of movement there. And if you're on your mobile device, uh, touch, um, you know, your fingerprint touch right. and uh, face recognition are all things that are making it um, easier. But yeah, CAPTCHA's always <laughs> been an issue. <laughs> And so how often are the standards being updated? Um, that's a good question. So um, prior to, so WCAG 2.1 um, came out quite a while after WCAG 2.0. There was a big lull. Things weren't really updated and technology had changed so much between that time. And so, you know, we, we introduced 2.1 um, back in, um, I think it was 2018 now, now that you're putting me on the spot, but the, um, uh, so the 2.1 standards came out, 2.2 will come out this year. Um, and then uh, they're working on WCAG 3.0 
as well. And that's a, for, uh, we're almost to the first working draft of that. Within the W3C, there is a very specific process you have to follow before anything is, is published. So it goes through, you know, um, internal review with all the member companies um, and getting feedback for those who are on those committees. Um, and then you go from, you know, getting public input, you address those issues, you then um, go through, uh, you know, and get more uh, information and then you publish it. So there's a lot of um, time that passes in order to get something, um, you know, published on, on the W3C side. Sure. Um, so we've been talking a lot about websites, um, but one of the other things, of course, that's, that's really, you know, taken the forefront during COVID is meeting software online meeting software. Mm -hmm. um, how has the accessibility battle been in that space? And, you know, out of all of those um, meeting platforms, who is sort of doing it right? And who are some of sort of the worst offenders? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. I mean, COVID has definitely shed light on the need to have um, these platforms accessible. Um, so if you look at Microsoft Teams, if you look at Zoom, if you look at WebEx, um, you know, and others that are out there, you know, there's definitely different uh, variations of, of accessibility. Um, one thing that you may have noticed, um, we're, we're talking on the Zoom platform today, um, Zoom recently uh, included closed captioning. Um, so now you can automatically <laughs> absolutely um yeah it's a it's a huge win i mean microsoft had that first um but you know there's other um you know efforts underway to really make things more accessible and adding those features so i would say you know there's a challenge um many users who um, have a disability prefer the either Microsoft Teams or Zoom because they tend to be easier to to use. Several years back, I would have told you WebEx, um, but uh, that platform, you know, really didn't keep up. Um, and uh, you know, Zoom and Teams is is tends to be more accessible today. I do know I've had some meetings in the past on WebEx. Like in the past, I even mean in the last year. And mm -hmm. WebEx is still kind of nightmarish to use. And, you know, I've had a few meetings on Microsoft Teams this year as well. And as functional and as accessible as it is, Microsoft just keeps throwing more and more stuff at it. And mm -hmm. I think that's where Zoom is really attractive because it's, it looks, from a blindness point of view and screen reader point of view, it looks clean. It looks simple. Mm -hmm. And you know, the functionality is all right there. You don't have, it's not buried in any menus or, right. um, you know, I just, we have options now, which I guess is what I'm getting to that are accessible and, and usable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, your experience is similar to others that I, I have talked, um, to about this and, uh, you know, one thing teams did recently, um, and I don't know if you've tried this out, Ryan, but, um, you know, they now have meetings in a separate window. So it's more like the Zoom experience where you only have one window, you're not overloaded with all of the other information going on. So you just have have that, um, you know, so you're really limited just like on Zoom, uh, you know, to the functions that are 
important for you to, you know, to access when you're in a meeting versus getting to everything within Microsoft Teams. Okay. Yeah. I typically just click the link I've been sent and then I got to jump through all the calendar and the join and all the other funky junk. So I'll have to look at it again. Yeah. Yeah. You might. I mean, this is evolving. Every, oh, for sure. All the time. And there's new features and everybody's committed to accessibility um you know within these platforms because they're all competing mm -hmm. um you know and really if you think about it um you know employees with disabilities and the employers trying to meet their needs um you know everything went online and so you were you know meetings everything and so if you were using a platform that wasn't very accessible you ended up hitting a lot of barriers and so you know that really changed um you know what platforms people were, were using um, and Zoom, you know, definitely was was something that was easy for people to pick up. And, uh, you know, even older users who wanted to chat with their friends or family, mm -hmm. you know, were picking up that fair, fairly easily. So I do agree the the simplicity of the interface and just ease of use definitely makes it makes it easier. Uh, all right. Well, listen, uh, before we let you go, I do want to ask you a little bit about uh, the Passiello Group and what you guys do there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the Passiello Group uh, provides accessibility solutions. So today we've talked a lot about, um, you know, just accessibility, the things that need to be accessible, the different ways that you can make something accessible. So we offer a full suite of uh of accessibility services really tailored to what our clients need. Um, that can be everything from, you know, doing an initial accessibility testing and evaluation to understand, you know, where you are as far as accessibility, what are the major issues that you have and how do I go about fixing that? And what are the different priorities from an accessibility standpoint do these issues have so that you can work on the ones that are, are most important? Um, you know, we do do compliance audits, so making sure that you are meeting, um, for example, I'm in the US, so looking at the Americans with Disabilities Act um, and look, making sure that, you know, you're in, in compliance um, with the ADA, um, but it's also compliance with web content accessibility guidelines, looking at that, we offer training. And then just like we talked about, um, really the end user is so important. So being able to do, you know, user testing and research is, is critical um, in really understanding how users with disabilities are interacting with, um, with your technology. The other thing that we do is really trying to push accessibility forward um, in, the, in the process. So really starting from requirements all the way through the designs and then looking at, um, you know, building the, the technology and the different sprints that your development teams are going in, making sure that accessibility is a touch point throughout um, the process and that we're making things accessible from the start. Retrofitting accessibility is always more <laughs> difficult. It's more costly, it's more, uh, you know, it, it, it's just more time consuming and it's, it, you know, really, slows down your time to time to market. And so if you're building in accessibility from from the start, it does, uh, you know, it, it cuts out the amount of rework that you have to do, but it also allows you to make things more usable for people with disabilities right from the start. So in, yes, you can retrofit and make something accessible, but it's not necessarily the most usable 
um, you know, way of way of doing it. So you can meet the accessibility guidelines, but from a usability standpoint, you know, it can be still difficult um, for some users to to perform those functions. And so if you're starting right from the beginning, you know, you can design those things in. Um, and make sure that you know you are thinking about all of the users' needs, not just, for example, a mouse user, but you're also thinking about how a keyboard user is going to use um, use the uh, website, for example. Um, the other thing that we do is a lot on more on the strategy. Um, many companies are now realizing that they need to make their products accessible, and um, you know, and so they're they're trying to embed accessibility into their corporation. And some of these are very large uh, companies with multiple lines of business doing, um, you know, thousands of new, new technology, um, you know, lots of different websites, a lot of different mobile applications and, and other things. And so, you know, trying to roll that out corporate wide, it can be very difficult, especially if you don't have a plan. Um, so we do a lot of strategic planning um, to really help companies understand how can I embed accessibility? You know, what are, where can I start first? And that dip, depends on, you know, which company it is, where you are, you know, how mature you are in your development processes. All of that can come into play as far as, you know, where you want to start from an accessibility standpoint in integrating accessibility into your um, organization. The other thing that we offer is um, really a central platform where you can collect all of this uh, accessibility information, both from the manual testing um, as well as um, you know all the testing you're doing throughout um, you know the development lifecycle as well as uh, monitoring and analytics. And so, really, um, you know, looking at that platform, it makes it easy to one, um, track your level of accessibility. You know, are you generally increasing level of accessibility or you is it getting worse over time? And that'll help you kind of uh, benchmark where, where you're at um, as far as trends go. Um, so the accessibility platform uh, provides a lot of analytics um, and uh, tracking as far as your progress goes. But we also have a number of things in there to really help people understand accessibility. We have knowledge bases for designers. We have um, you know, guides for uh, the developers and the different techniques and how do you implement ARIA. We also have a whole suite of um, learning modules in there as far as, um, you know, I want to learn more about ARIA or I want to know the basics of accessibility um, or I want to know disability etiquette. Um, you know, all those different topics um, are in there that you can can learn as well as, um, you know, having a help desk section in there, which most companies uh, find invaluable because they have direct access to our experts. Um, and so they can increase the knowledge of their team get immediate answers and move things forward rather than them kind of stumbling through it. So that accessibility platform really becomes a central area to, um, you know, to have all of your accessibility um, initiatives um, housed within there and to be able to track it and know, um, you know, where you're, where you're at at any point in time. I'm curious, have you ever been called in to be an expert witness in any of these lawsuits on accessibility? Yeah, so I work with a lot of defense lawyers on um, on determining whether or not something is accessible. 
And, you know, most of these don't end up in, in the courts. Many of them settle outside the courts. Um, but I have written declarations. I have um, been part of uh, mediation um, as far as trying to come up with a, with a settlement. Um, and, and in one case, I was an expert, um, you know, on, on the legal counsel. But, if, you know, most of them is, uh, you know, really assessing the, you know, how they're doing from an accessibility standpoint, advising on, you know, the level of accessibility that's there. Um, you know, helping companies understand where they can improve as far as as far as accessibility goes. So, um, yeah, I'm very active in the legal um, side side of things, um, and really just want to help companies, uh, you know, understand what they need to do because many companies who've been sued, um, you know, may be the first time that they're hearing about accessibility or they really weren't aware of the standards. So, being able to help them understand that and put that in perspective is is uh, something that I, I enjoy doing and, and ultimately makes things uh, more accessible. Excellent. Well, listen, we want to thank you so much for taking some time out and talking with us. I would love to have you on again because we could talk about this like literally all day. Uh, <laughs> I have so many other questions, but we will let you go. Thank you. But yeah, it's been thank great talking with you. Thanks, Kathy. You know, it's uh, I'm I'm heartened to hear that most companies um, do not only the right thing, but like just the sane thing, which is to, you know, if if they do have a suit levied against them, they just are like, oh, okay, well, let's let's fix this. We didn't really know any better because we were under a rock, and you know, but they but they at least they go through the motions and and fix the problems. Um, you know, it's not all dominoes. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just, we need to actually do a follow up on that and see where it's at. Yeah, who knows? But no, that's good. I mean, that that's good that to hear that a lot of a lot of businesses will just go ahead and just settle and just do the right thing, because um, it's really not any more complicated than that. If somebody sues you because your your website's inaccessible, then just fix it and you solve the problem. Yeah, again, you know, I've mentioned this on many shows before, and I just don't like that term accessible. It's just such a broad term. It can mean so many things, and what's accessible to me may not be accessible to somebody else, and I just, I don't like that word. Well, you know, and that's that's the importance of the standards. Right? Yeah. Because it, it gives them that, that they can line things up against and go, okay, does it check all those boxes? Right. Yeah. Okay, well, then we have that foundation. You know, is it usable? Like, could there be improvement on that in terms of, you know, a usability case? Well, then that could be a separate set of criteria, right? And because really that's the only way you can do it because you're absolutely right. Whether or not a website is accessible in, in, a, in a practical um, perspective can vary wildly depending on, you know, who's using who's using the, the screen reader and what screen reader are they using and are they a mobile or are they a PC? You know, that's, there's too many variables yeah. to really base it on that. So you really need these standards to sort of really answer that question, whether or not a site is accessible or not on a, on a technical level. Yeah, absolutely. So, but no, that's, oh, it's so interesting. I, I, I just, I'm, I Tickled pink. I do, but you know, but at the same time, like I'm glad to hear that things are better, but I still feel like we have a long way to go. Oh, you know, I... My personal experience in, in you know, helping 
you know, I, I, the, the place that I'm working for now, you know, we're, we're in the middle of, of planning an, an online gala and using all these different um, online platforms from, you know, the, the selling of tickets to like 50-50 draws and stuff like that and, and dealing with different um, online, you know, companies that are providing some of these online services that are strictly digital. And, you know, every one of them that we've gone to to ask the question about accessibility have come back with, well, we're not really sure, maybe? Like, we don't really, we've never really looked into that, so we're not really sure if, if our forms are accessible. And that is kind of shocking, and they're, they're big places. Um, so I, I do feel like we still have a long ways to go in really, you know, penetrating that mainstream market in, in getting, getting these platforms accessible. Yeah, and that's where, you know, especially screen reader users or I guess whatever tool you're using, you really need to be able to dig in and learn how to use that accessibility tool like your screen reader because like Kathy's example of the edit boxes, you're filling out a form that might just say edit, edit, edit. But, you know, like with JAWS or NVDA, if you switch your cursor and, and move up from that edit field, usually it'll tell you first name, last name. So that form can successfully be completed, but it's not, technically accessible because that tag is not linked to that edit field right so you kind of have to learn how to use your tool as well so you know yeah there's definitely work to be done but there are some workarounds that you can do and that's where you know education that we've talked about many many times comes into play you know learning to use your tools yeah see i don't know i I, like yeah I, i agree with you and i mean that is that is an upside to that you know, there are a lot of sites that may seem inaccessible, but they, you know, there's a workaround, you can make it work, but it's also an easy fix to fix that. Oh, I agree. I agree. Like you mentioned, technically, it would be nice if it was accessible in the background and not have to worry about it, yeah, but, but we're so, not there yet. So learn, 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 learn to use your accessibility tool. <laughs> well, but, and honestly, like there's still a lot of, there's, there's a lot of sites out there that, that just aren't accessible um, yeah. for, for reasons. Uh, well then, hey Ryan. Rob. Uh, where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com. Nicely struck. Hey, you know what else? They can also get us on uh, Instagram. They can get us on Facebook. And they can get us on Twitter. Tweet, 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 tweet. Tweet. Uh, yeah. Well, fellas, I think that's going to about do it. All right. Let's get out of here. So sad. Don't sound so sad about that. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, then that will do it for us this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Big thanks to Kathy Walbin from Pass Yellow Group. We will see everybody <laughs> next week. <laughs> This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778 778- 847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 